I don't want to sound like a diva, but can someone get these lights? Oh, thank you so much. I'm already dyslexic. We don't need to complicate things more than, than necessary. Um, so it is just an absolutely beautiful weekend. Has anyone else experienced that? I hope you got to. It is, uh, the weather's been amazing, a little hot, but I feel dumb even saying it. It's like, oh, it's a little warm. Do you remember how cold it was? <laughs> how soon we forget. It's beautiful out. It's beautiful out. Um, so I'm actually going to be in Acts 2, but probably in a different way than you were expecting. Um, because there's more than one thing going on in Acts 2. So anyway... Welcome, this Jesus God raised up, and of all that we are witnesses. And that's from Acts 2.32. For a moment, I thought that my bulletin had dissolved again. It tends to do that somewhere between down there and up here, but I, I, I got it. I got it. Anyway. So in uh, Acts 2, we have the day of Pentecost. It is not Pentecost Sunday. We're still allowed to talk about it. We're not Pentecostals, but we're still allowed to talk about it. It is uh, one of the most profound things that happens in the young church. Uh, and I am going to actually try to quickly read through the first 13 verses, though that isn't my focus, but just so that I'm not giving bad paraphrase of what's happening, I should just read it. <clears throat> When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what deemed to be tongues or what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there there, excuse me, now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we heard them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. <clears throat> and I would say the majority of the sermons I've heard out of Acts 2 pertain to those verses. Now, where I'm going this morning, however, it, I don't want to just give you a bad paraphrase. This is an amazing thing that happened. It is miraculous that all of a sudden the Holy Spirit falls on people and they start speaking the languages of everyone in the room, just declaring the majesty of God, declaring Jesus Christ. That is not something I want to gloss over this morning. I want you to be aware this happened. This is really the birth of the church or at least the birth of the church spreading. Um, 
the birth of the church was probably also the birth of Christ. I could probably point to a few places in the Gospels and say, and this is the birth of the church. Um, it's a little clearer when it's the birth of the Ethiopian church. That part gets really clear to me, but that that's in a, in a few more weeks. <clears throat> so what I'd like to look at is Peter's sermon. Peter's addressing the crowd. Because just like every time that God works and does something miraculous, you have people saying, that's not what's happening here. They're in the room too. So there's this overwhelming sense that God is moving. They're seeing supernatural things happen. And one of the first things that happens after people are like, oh my gosh, I'm hearing this in my own language. How are these men speaking uh, my own language? Um, and then there's people that are just like, oh, they're drunk. They're just babbling. And isn't that just like human nature? You kind of throw away the miraculous and make it common or make it obscene or make it, uh, you just distort it. And unfortunately, we even have the tendency to do that within the church when you see God at work and you're just like, yeah, I don't know if God does that. I'm guilty of doing it too. But I think a great little litmus test you can do is see, does this glorify God? And if it's glorifying God, let it be. Either celebrate it or be quiet. However, if it's not glorifying God, then we can, we can talk about it. But anyway, immediately after this, this group of people starts to make fun of the Holy Spirit moving, which seems like a horrible, horrible thing to do, because it is. It's also, unfortunately, part of the human condition. In verse 14, Peter stood up with the eleven which we now know has Matthias in it. He raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm just going to read verse 21 again, because I think it's, they're all important, but this is something that I don't want you to not catch. And everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God, deliberate, 
God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an, on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor his body to see decay. God has raised Jesus to life, and we are witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. Excuse me. He has received the promise of the Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And I'm just going to pause there for a moment. Do any of you remember coming to faith? Or a moment within your faith journey? It's a real expression, though I find it overused, so I did the air quotes. In your faith journey, have you had one of those moments where you were just cut to the heart? And you're like, oh, they're talking about me. I'd like you to connect with this verse as hard as you possibly can, really. So I want you to think about your own coming to faith. What was the moment when you were cut to the heart? When you're like, I am a sinner. This is a problem. Or for some of us who were raised in the faith, when you realized later that you're just like, wow. I'm wrong, and this really hurts. That's the experience that these people are having. And they do the logical thing. They're like, brothers, what do we do? We're wrong. What do we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all those who are far off. That's us. We are all those who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. 
Those who accepted this message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their numbers that day. I have heard uh, startlingly few sermons about the words that Peter actually spoke at Pentecost. So I thought it would be helpful to look at them. I think that there are many things within this uh, mini-sermon, and I shouldn't call it that, but many things that he addresses the crowd with (coughs) that are really pertinent. The first thing, though, that you notice is that he, he exalts Jesus. What he's doing is exalting Jesus. He didn't say, we have the power of the Holy Spirit, and we can do this, and we can do that. He says, Jesus, and he keeps saying Jesus. And then he backs it up with the Old Testament. He said, listen to what David said about Jesus, who hasn't yet come, but is coming. Or, you know, at David's time, of course, at this point, he had already come. And in verse 36, when he says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. It's easy in our modern seating, right, in our modern way of life, and the framework we are being about 2,000 years removed from this crowd to be like, oh, he's talking to them. But every now and again, when you read through this, you get the feeling that, oh, he's talking to me. This Jesus whom you crucified. Were I not a sinner, Christ would not have needed to die. Right? And that sounds like a good, healthy dose of legalism. Maybe it is. But it doesn't make it false. Were we not sinners? Were we not born into sin? Such a price would not need it, would have not needed to be paid. And I think I can say honestly, were I there, I don't know where I would have stood in the crowd of people at Jesus' trial. And the truth is, is neither do you. We're all church people. Right? We love God. And a crowd full of religious Jews, don't you feel that some of them probably could have been described as church people? Religious people that wanted to do God's work. And they got caught up. I think it's very possible to to picture myself getting caught up. And I'm not saying that lightly, and I'm not saying that because I'm special or more evil or anything like that. Would I have been one of those people standing next to Jesus's mother crying? Would I have been one of those disciples that ran as far away as possible? Would I have been one of those people screaming, crucify him, give us Barabbas? Truth is, is I don't know. And neither do you. But I do know that this was part of God's plan. 
And as we talked about in Sunday school, getting over the past is incredibly important because we're all sinners and we were all born into sin. The holiest perceived person in here was still born a sinner. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it is because of Jesus that we can be close to God, that we can be sanctified, that we can become righteous. It is through Jesus. All of this is through Jesus. It has nothing to do with our merit because we don't have any. We have value, but we don't have merit. We didn't earn any of this. And I know you've heard me whine about this in the past, and I'll say it again. You don't want what you deserve. I don't deserve this. Maybe not in this way, but we all deserve the worst. We all deserve the worst. If you want what you deserve, you really just want to go to hell, and I don't want that for you. I don't want that for me. God doesn't want that for you either. And I know I've read it twice. I'm going to read it one more time. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is Peter quite possibly preaching to some of the people that were in the crowd screaming, give us Barabbas. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That seems like a pretty broad qualifier, doesn't it? We complicate things a lot. Don't get me wrong. Right is right. Wrong is wrong. God has standards. I agree. But to re-quote Greg Boyd, you will never look into the eyes of anyone that Jesus wasn't willing to die for. And to quote Peter, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Something else that you see Peter say later is repent and be baptized, every one of you. So, I'd like to take those verses in tandem. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, and we're called to repent, which typically means either changing the way you think, which causes you to change the way you act, or a turning away. I don't know which Greek word this is translated from. I think both apply. If I change the way I think, which really is the struggle, because you can stop doing things and still want to do them, if you can change the way you think about these things. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. He didn't even teach a class. You notice that? 3,000 people got baptized. He didn't make them sit through a discipleship class. He didn't make them do any of that. This is kind of radical, isn't it? They didn't have to prove their value and commitment. This was showing their commitment. I don't think baptism classes are wrong. I plan to keep doing them. I like them. My daughter just went through one. I was incredibly blessed by it. She didn't talk a lot during it, but that's okay. I was there. It doesn't make those things wrong. The point of classes like that, though, were for people to understand what they're doing. And if you look at the sermon and the point that the crowd is at, they understand what just happened and they understand their part in it. This is a group of people ready to get baptized. 
This is a group of people that are ready to commit to Jesus. They're cut to the heart. They know what's happening. That's the whole point of the class. Is so that people understand what they're committing to. But honestly, I think, and I think you should as well, I think I am willing to baptize anyone who is committing to follow Christ. I, I want to baptize them whether they want to be a Mennonite or whether they want to take a class. If they understand what they're doing and they are eager, eager to follow Christ, I am eager to baptize them. And that's not actually a pastoral role, if you didn't know that. That's traditionally a pastoral role. If you're sitting having coffee with your friend and all of a sudden he's like, I really want to be baptized. I'm not saying you necessarily point to your glass and say, well, here is water. What is to prevent you from being baptized? Um, I'm just saying it, it isn't a particular office within the church. The, the baptizer office, I'm pleased to do it. I want to do it. I'm blessed by doing it. And you would be too. If they know what they're doing and there's water there and they say, man, I really want to get baptized. You say, man, I really want you to get baptized. And I don't think the method matters. If you disagree with me, that's okay. I've dunked people. I've sprinkled them. And I'm not John the Baptist. I'm not claiming to be. I'm just saying it's been one of the biggest blessings in my life is finding out that someone is in the hospital and has never been baptized and wants to be baptized and someone thought to call me. That was one of the biggest blessings I've ever had in my life. And that person was about to go into hospice care and before I left, and it's not because they got baptized, probably, but before they even left, they found an experimental treatment for that person, and she lived like another 18 months. I'm not saying that's because she got baptized, but I got to be there. I wouldn't have been there. That was pretty amazing. There was a lot of praying going on that day, a lot of giving glory to God. I'm not saying it isn't because she got baptized either. I'm just saying it was really neat to be a part of it. I also got to baptize a man last year on... I didn't know I was going to baptize him. I didn't realize he had never been baptized, but he was sick. He'd gone to church his whole life, had a slight fear of water, didn't want anyone dunking him. Well, thankfully, I'm a Mennonite. We're okay with sprinkling and pouring and stuff. It was fine. And I am convinced, me, I'm not speaking for God, but I'm convinced that the mode of baptism is not irrelevant, but I think it has far more to do with where the person's heart is than whether or not they um, were baptized in a pool or a creek or in the Jordan River or under a goblet or sprinkled by somebody. We're called to be baptized. There's not an instruction manual on how to do it in here. I'm not sure if you noticed that. Any tradition we have about baptism is just that tradition. I do know the Bible does tell everyone to repent and be baptized, though. So I'm willing to stand on that. Pray about it. If you've never been baptized or you want to start baptizing people, 
in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's pretty much the only instructions we're given. I would encourage you to do it. If it comes up, I would highly encourage you to do it. In the same way that if it comes up that someone asks you, well, why am I a sinner? Well, tell them. Not by examples necessarily, but tell them that we're all sinners. Tell them about the good news of Jesus. You are an evangelist. You might be a reluctant one, but all of us are evangelists. All of us. It's been quoted in here several times. You may be the only Bible people ever read. They're looking. Some people are looking for you for answers, looking to you for answers. I say this fairly often, but Ron Hennig was my grandfather's pastor for years and probably didn't even know it. You might be that for somebody. You might have known it. I don't know. We'll talk about that sometime. Anyhow, I am going to finish up Acts 2, um, which is really only just a few verses <coughs> um, next week. But I wanted to look at what we're called to do. Um, growing up in many different churches, which I did, there were churches that wanted to teach the children how to pray in tongues because how could you be a Christian if you couldn't speak in tongues and all kinds of other things that I think are totally in error. I wanted to look at what was actually said. What is it that God actually wants from us? He wants repentance. He wants obedience. That's that scary word that comes up every time I read the Bible is what God wants is obedience. Part of obedience is mercy. Part of obedience is love. All of that falls under obedience. Anyway, if you can do so without pain, can you please stand with me? Father God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the gift of your scriptures. I thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. I thank you for Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would be with the rest of our time here today. Lord, I pray again that you would be with our fellowship meal. I pray that you would bless the food and bless those that prepared the food. Father, I pray that you would bless the meeting that we'll have this afternoon. Lord, I pray that you would be central to that, that we would keep it in light of the fact that we wish to do your will, that it be your will that is done and not mine and not anyone else's, but your will, Father. Lord, I pray that you would just bless the rest of our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. <clears throat>